Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Hello, and welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. I am your host, Kim Schlag, with my lovely co-host, Marcy Nevin and Katie Crocus. Hi, ladies. Hey, Hi, Kim. Hey, Katie. How's it going? Going good. I am feeling tired. I had a really hard workout this morning. Um, I just like literally just finished before we started uh, chit-chatting a few minutes ago. Usually you do yours later, don't you? Well, it just depends. I have a really, I give myself just great flexibility and kind of look at the week ahead and see what's going to fit where based on what's happening. Um, but I know ahead of time, because when I try and leave it up to just day of, I, I inevitably it doesn't happen or I'm doing it at a really suboptimal time. Yeah. Um, but I did it earlier and I had sets of, I had five sets of 14 squats. What? Five sets of <laughs> constant tension back squats. Oh my gosh. I would have 14 reps. No, that's like a lower weight though. Right. Like to yeah, be, clicked. it's definitely okay. a way lower weight. Okay. Way lower oh weight. Gosh. Like I'm Is not getting a hundred pounds. Like it's, but it's freaking heavy. Like uh-huh. constant tension, five sets. This training program doing- I'm doing has are you doing inner circle stuff? Because I feel like no, there's so much. No, no, no. I'm still in the inner circle, but I'm not doing inner circle stuff. Um, okay. I decided I really needed, it's just good to like try different things. And when I say that everyone listening, I don't mean like a little bit mm-hmm. of this and a little bit of that, like you got to commit to something. So, um, I signed up for Annie Miller's training, mm-hmm. uh, and I just decided to buy the year package. <laughs> and so I'm doing it for a whole year and her first three months are super high volume. It's like building work capacity. And it is not at all how I have trained with Jordan for the last Mm. six years, seven years, like literally not at all. And it's so like doing five sets of anything like makes me want to die five sets with like super high reps like that. And just tons of constant tension. And that was just the first exercise guys. (laughs) Oh. How, many, how many exercises are there in the day? There's not, some of them are like, today is a really manageable one. It was just besides like, she puts in like mobility and like core stuff kind of separate, but like, as far as like actual lifts, like today, there was only one, two, three, four, there was only five, but I have others that it's like eight. And so, and there's still a couple of those that are like five sets. And I'm like, holy cow. Like it's mm-hmm. a lot. It's a I've- lot. But I wanted something different and <laughs> I got something different and it's not going to stay like this. Like it's, you know, it's periodized and the first, the first few months are the super high volume, like let's build your work capacity kind of thing. And I don't love it, but I love that I'm doing something different. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. I'm still doing inner circle training and I feel, so there's usually like four or five exercises but some of them are supersets within mm-hmm. each exercise and I love that current currently Jordan with his four days of Jordan and Susan with the four-day cycle they never have more than three sets and to me that's like such a small win like by the time I'm done with one or two I'm like oh my gosh this is done I feel like if I was going for five it, I would like I would really have to like pump myself up after like one and two knowing there were three more to go like yeah. play those games. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 
Mars, what are you doing for training these days? Uh, barely getting by. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I, I've said like, just because um, with the protocol that I'm doing for some health stuff, like I really do not have a whole lot of energy to give to training. So I go in there and, you know, maybe do six exercises. Some days it's more like four and it's yeah, just the bare minimum. So I'm looking forward to getting back to feeling like myself again, when it comes to my lifting. And I don't know what I I'm assuming I'll go back to Paul Carter's workouts, the Valkyrie ones. That's what I was doing before all of this. And I do enjoy them. What I like about the way Paul programs is, and I think that we've talked about this on the podcast before, like I'm at the point now where yes, I still care about getting stronger, making improvements, changing my physique, you know, building muscle, all of that, but not to the point where like, it's taking up every spare minute of my, or not, mm-hmm. not spare minute, but like every ounce of my mental capacity. Mm-hmm. So I, like when I was starting to build my business and that was really my main focus, the thought of having to go into the gym and do five by five heavy deadlifts was just getting to the point of mental exhaustion. And I wasn't looking forward to it. I dreaded my workouts. So that's what I've liked about this program is it's very much like bodybuilder style movements, which is just what I enjoy, but also you're really only doing one hard set per movement. So you do two to three warm up sets where the weight is lighter. You're kind of ramping up and then you do one, maybe two sets to all out failure, and then you're done. So I feel like you don't have to work yourself up mentally quite as much for that. And it's been a lot better. And then it's better on my body too from a recovery standpoint. So yeah, I enjoy that. And I'm assuming that that is what I will go back to. Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. Yeah. So well, Kim, when you have a workout like that, I have to ask, does it make you hungrier? Like today, will you be, will you need to fuel differently? No, I know, but it's interesting what uh, Marcy was saying about like mental energy. I do feel zapped after these. Like I really do. It's a lot. I do have to like, I have to like work myself up to get in there and get some caffeine in me and be like, okay, let's go. (laughs) Here it goes. And, uh, and then after, like, I do just feel like drained, like I Mm -hmm. drained. So um, interesting. You asked that. I mean, I know, you know what we're talking about. We are talking about hunger today and hunger can definitely, um, you know, when we increase the amount of work we're doing that can definitely um, be impacted. But for me, it has not uh, in this case. It definitely has not. Um, I've actually been going through a weird phase where I feel like I'm never, I'm not feeling a lot of my natural hunger cues and I'm not sure why that is. So um, I'm not sure what to say about that. Mm. (laughs) I'm trying to be in a, I'm trying really hard to be in a deficit Sometimes I say I'm going to track and sometimes I say I'm not going to track and I go back and forth and I'm back to tracking again, simply because I was really struggling waiting to feel hungry because I would wait an obscene amount of hours and not feel hungry. And so that doesn't work, right? That's not going to work. Um, But let's talk some. So today we're going to talk about hunger. We're going to talk about following your natural hunger cues. We're going to talk about um, anxiety around hunger. We're going to talk about using hunger as a tool. Um, we're going to talk about how to manage things when you're overly hungry in a deficit and what it can mean if you are really trying to be in a deficit and you're not hungry. Um, so let's start here, ladies. 
people get lots of feelings about being hungry, right? So when you talk to clients or Katie, when you did talk to clients or just when people message you guys and they're sharing their feelings about hunger, like what would you say are some of the typical feelings around hunger? Marshall, I, oh, oh, no, Katie, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, Mars. Um, I think fear and discomfort. I mean, fear seems like a very powerful word, but that, that really is, there's some fear there that, and I don't know if it's a fear of the, and I'm sure it can go two different ways for people, the fear of the discomfort of the hunger. So like that physical sensation that does not feel enjoyable, like, let's be honest, it it just, it doesn't. Um, Or is it the fear of lack of self-trust in themselves and what they are going to do when they experience hunger, when it goes on for too long, do they not trust themselves to make good choices in that moment? Yeah. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. one. Anything to add to that, Katie? Fear? No, I think Marcy, you, you touched on really what I was going to say, which is like anxiety and fear. And I think a lot of it comes down to um, constantly taking cues from the outside from instead of from the external instead of the internal. And that's something that, uh, people have a hard time doing is, is trusting themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things gosh, I heard it so many years ago and it really impacted me as a coach and how I um, coach around hunger. It was from Georgie fear. And she talks about the idea that hunger isn't an emergency. And that is a big switch for most people because they think like, I'm hungry, like gotta get food. Like, or what if I am hungry? They need to prevent the emergency of hunger occurring. And, um, so just sitting with the idea that hunger isn't an emergency. And a lot of times people be like, well, when, when I say that they like look at me kind of puzzled and then I'll ask them like, what will happen if you get hungry? Um, sometimes they say what Marcy was talking about there, which is I will overeat. And so then the conversation is, is, is that necessarily always the case in all situations? Like, is that a universal truth that everyone who feels hungry overeats? Of course it's not. And so that's something we can then work through. But for a lot of people, the answer, if it's not that, it's just like, I don't really know what I'm afraid of. Like, it's just a bad thing to be hungry, right? It feels uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. And so then typically the conversation goes to the idea that for most of us, right? Of course, people have lived with food insecurity, but I don't, most people who are listening to this podcast, that's not their life situation. For most of us, if we got to a point where we were really hungry and needed food, we could always get food, mm-hmm. right? The idea that we need to somehow keep food in our person, in our car and in our desk at work and like all the little places, because what if we get hunger, hungry, we're so concerned about preventing it. It's not realistic to what our life situation is. Like right now, if I got hungry, not only do I have a fully stocked kitchen, and the ability to call Uber Eats, but like within a five mile radius, I could get any kind of food I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what? You know what's really interesting? And this thought just came to me now while we were having this conversation. It's never occurred to me before. So oftentimes when I am working with clients about shifting their mindset around their relationship with food, a lot of it does go back to what they experienced or were taught in childhood. So perfect example of this is you have to clean your plate. 
So, you know, there are starving children in Africa. So how dare you not eat all your food? And so now they have that belief as an adult that they have to be a member of the clean plate club. They have to finish everything, even though that is more wasteful than actually throwing the food away because it's not self-honoring to your body. But what's really interesting is, and I don't have kids, but I remember my parents saying this. I've heard other parents say it to their kids. Oh, no, you can't have a snack an hour before dinner because it's going to spoil your appetite. Mm -hmm. Oh, then you're not going to be hungry for dinner. So why do we want our kids to be hungry for the next meal? Why is it okay for them to experience some hunger? But for mm -hmm. us, it's mm -hmm. not, which I think right? is really interesting. And I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> I just wanted mm -hmm. to. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. For thought. Yeah, because we've all said that anybody who has kids has definitely said that. But do we say it to ourselves? Or are we just kind of like, well, I'm hungry now. Well, and mm -hmm. I've even heard it. I've even heard adults say it to each other. So a, a wife saying it to a husband. Oh, no, yeah. no, I don't have that because then you're not going to be hungry for dinner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting stuff. I, I've gotten away from that. I, I have a snack before I eat a meal almost every day once at once at one point or another and I think for me because Kim I'm that person who's like I don't want to get to the point so I guess I'm a little bit of the like the dissenting voice here I really don't want to get to the point where I'm ravenous I don't like who I am and, and and how I behave in fact right before this podcast here's an example um I had eaten breakfast and then I worked out and I had a big big lower body workout today. I wasn't all that hungry, but I ate something before we hopped on because I was like, you know what? I don't want to be on with the ladies. And if the conversation goes long, like I don't want to be distracted and thinking about food in the kitchen. And like, truthfully, Kim, to your point, I could have very easily taken a nibble of a bar if there was some sort of like low blood sugar emergency. So, um, I mean, I, I, I really like this conversation because it's challenging some of my own thoughts on this too. Mm. Uh, because I'm kind of on the uh, in the other camp where I'm like, you know what? I really want to be satisfied more often than not because lately that has actually had an effect where I haven't really been all that hungry lately despite eating less than I've eaten in the past. And it's just kind of an interesting shift. Granted, I'm not in a dieting space right now. So I'm speaking from um, a side where I, I don't have body recomposition goals. And obviously what I'm saying really won't help you if you're trying to achieve a deficit. But mm. for me, I find that having a little bit cut, like I'll eat some edamame while I'm chopping vegetables for dinner. That just allows me to kind of enter in the family dinner experience from a different place. So, mm. I mean, for what it's worth, it's, it's another perspective. Interesting. Mm -hmm. For people who have weight loss goals, yes. that those kinds of behaviors can be really challenging right? Especially if we're talking about people who would like to get away from tracking calories, because if they're not paying attention to, and we can talk kind of more about this idea of one, what does it feel like to be truly physically hungry? And two, what will happen if I can, if I don't prevent that hunger from happen, happening, right? Um, so I think first, maybe we should talk a little bit more about um, what hunger actually is and what hunger isn't, because we a lot think that we're hungry when really there are other things coming into play. Two things in particular, which is situational cues and emotions, right? Like environmental cues. Mars, what, what can you um, add about those two things? Like what would be some of the examples of environmental cues or emotional cues versus physical cues? Yeah, so I make the distinction between physical hunger that is a, like sensation 
in your stomach or in your gut. So it's an empty hollow sensation. And maybe there's a little bit of rumbling. Like there is that slight discomfort and also hunger builds gradually. So it kind of, you know, and I think that it does also come and go in waves. So for example, before we hopped on this call, like I was starting to get hungry and I noticed that, but I wasn't, I was going to choose to hold off until we finished recording. And now that we are, you know, we're talking, we're engaging and I'm like into the podcast, the hunger has really dissipated. Mm. So I do think it comes and goes in waves. It builds slowly. Whereas mind hunger, which is what I like to call it different than physical comes on more suddenly. And yes, is the result of, like you said, Kim, an external cue. So for example, you know, I live in an apartment complex and I usually have my the door to my back patio open so I can smell what other people are cooking. Mm -hmm. And I may not be hungry in the moment, but when I smell something really good, it's like, oh, well, I want some of that. Or now I'm hungry. And then also just with what you see. So if I'm scrolling on Pinterest, looking for home decor, and then I see someone's, you know, brownies that they posted, like that's going to make me perhaps have a craving. So yeah, just the things that you were seeing, the situations that you were in, what other people are eating can trigger it. And then absolutely the emotions. So stress, overwhelm, sadness, loneliness, boredom, I mean, all of that triggers the desire to eat to quite literally stuff down those emotions, because just like the physical sensation of hunger, it's uncomfortable to sit with your feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You hit a lot of, uh, I think you may have hit all the big ones there. I think a lot of people will be like, yeah, I've been like, we all know this. You're at the mall and you smell the chocolate chip cookies or you smell the Mm -hmm. Annie Ann pretzels Mm -hmm. and maybe you just literally ate lunch. Right. But all of a sudden, like I'm hungry. Like I could Mm -hmm. eat, (laughs) I could eat that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's that scent piece. There's also just seeing the clock. Like if you typically eat at X time and you haven't been paying attention to like, am I even hungry at that time? Starting to notice like, am I eating because I'm actually hungry? Am I eating because the clock tells me I should eat? Um, Or seeing other people, like if you're walking past a food court and you're like, oh, everybody else is eating, like I should eat. Or, you know, you're, you walk in the kitchen and all the teenagers are sitting there around eating food and you're like, maybe I should eat something. And none (laughs) of this has anything to do with whether or not you're actually physically hungry. Because in any one of those situations, you could literally be feeling physical hunger and those things could happen, or you might not. And when we're talking about learning to eat based on your physical cues versus tracking calories, it's just when this really comes in. It helps even when you're tracking calories to be aware of these things, but eventually you're gonna want to maintain your weight at least in a way that you're not continuing to track calories until really becoming attuned to, do I have that physical sensation in my stomach or do I not? Is it one of these other factors? And then of course, like Marcy said, the emotional eating piece, which is a huge one for so many people. Is it always an issue? No, sometimes it's fine to eat emotionally, right? Like I'm feeling we're gonna celebrate. So we're gonna celebrate with food. Where it becomes a problem is if it's getting in the way of your ability to reach your goals or if it is, your most used or only coping mechanism for all these emotions. Like Mm -hmm. there's just emotions that can, things that can better help you cope with those emotions than food overall. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go back to what Katie was saying then, as far as um, now that we kind of talked about what hunger is, 
is it really uh, necessary to feel hunger or is it okay to prevent hunger? And I think it comes back to what your goals are, right? And so if we're always looking to prevent that hunger and your goal is to lose weight, that's going to be highly problematic mm-hmm. or it could be. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think you're, oh, go ahead, Marcy. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. If you're someone who's struggling with like the scarcity mindset and trying to lose weight at the same time, you could really have some challenges because you will be sort of sending opposing messages in a way, or maybe I shouldn't say opposing, but like messages that kind of just like begin to hammer each other deeper and deeper (laughs) into your psyche, where it's like, no, I'm going to just say no to this hunger and not listen to my body. Oh, but I had all these scarcity mindset issues and I really am not in, in a place where I'm embracing abundance. And those two things combined um, probably are a recipe for disaster. And you may just want to work on one at a time. Um, It's not to say you cannot have physique goals or fat loss or weight loss goals, but if scarcity is an issue for you and you're somebody who has really sort of um, restricted your whole life, you might have to like back yourself out of that corner first before you dive in um, to some of these these tactics that we're going to lay out for you to kind of help support hunger management, I think. Mark, were you going to say something too? Oh, the only thing I was going to say is the distinction between being like slightly hungry. Oh, I could eat. I'm noticing that it's been, you know, three, four hours or so, like, which especially in the fat loss phase is probably an appropriate amount of time to start feeling hungry after a meal. And that is common. That um, is different than like, I am ravenous. So, you know, and I think that we want to, kind of figure out like what that scale is. So yes, going into a meal, you should feel some slight hunger, but we don't want you to be so hungry that, yeah, you are at the point you've kind of like tipped the scale and now you're ravenous and your brain is like, oh my gosh, I just need food. And it's difficult to control yourself when you do go to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is definitely, cause that is one of the words you use, Katie. And I totally agree with you both there. Um, there's no reason. And I would actually say it's counterproductive in a deficit to get to the, I am ravenous stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. we can think of hunger on a spectrum all the way from like zero hunger, like I'm full to I'm ravenous. And there's a lot of gradations in there. And so really looking to find a spot where you can feel like hungry, as in like my stomach is empty and hollow, but I'm not to the point where like, I can't think straight and, um, you know, physically I'm not feeling well and all of those kinds of things. Like we definitely don't want to head into that territory. Um, People do tend to overeat in those circumstances. And so really looking to be appropriately hungry, um, which I know for a lot of people that still feels really uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. they're used to fearing that they're used to not feeling comfortable. Like, well, obviously who's comfortable with something that's uncomfortable, uncomfortable, um, but is being a little bit hungry, really that big of a deal, or we have, we attached really negative emotion to that. The -hmm. example that Georgie fear gives in her book, lean habits is such a, it's a, such a good one which is um, sleep and yawning. Now, obviously yawning, not as uncomfortable as feeling hungry, but it's similar in that when we start to yawn, it can be a cue to us. Now we're all gonna start yawning because I said the word yawn. Mm -hmm. It can be a cue to us of what? Like maybe we didn't get enough sleep. Maybe um, 
we're, we're, we're just noticing that we're tired. But do we, when we yawn, start panicking? Do we start feeling like nervous? Do we start feeling edgy? Do we start thinking like, I need to find a place to lay down right now? Like, where can I nap? Where can I nap? I, I, I need to like keep a pillow in my drawer so I can lay down at any point. Like that's silly, right? We do not immediately go find somewhere to lay down when we start yawning. Even if we, and sometimes we don't think about it at all, right? Like we just yawn and think nothing of it. If we're yawning a lot, some other people might even point it out to us. We might start thinking things like, I should probably get to bed at a decent hour tonight. Or maybe we like rearrange our plans and think like, I'm not going out tonight. I'm going to go home. Um, if it's early in the day and we have some time, maybe we might think about taking a nap later in the day, but it doesn't feel like this immediate sense of like, must fix this now. And learning to think about hunger in the same way can be really useful. So when we start feeling that hunger, start thinking of it like a yawn, as in, this is a sign that I'm going to want to get some food sometime. Mm -hmm. uh, do I want to get that sooner? Do I want to get that later? Maybe think about where it's going to come from, those kinds of things, but really trying to amp down the like um, emotion we attach to it to kind of match that, that we would have with a yawn and sleep. Like it's a signal, it's a sign, but it is not um, must do it now. Oh, I love that. That's Me so too. good. I do remember hearing her mention that and I've forgotten about it. So thank you for the reminder. Uh, just so everyone knows, I did yawn. <laughs> so yeah. While Kim was talking, I'm like, I'm trying not to do it. Yeah, um, I don't know what the science is behind that, but we all do it. I don't get that. Well, or or even when you see someone yawn, it's the same thing. Yeah, you see yeah. someone yawn, you say the word yawn. You yawn. Right. Just like you see someone eating and you're like, oh, maybe I should too. Yeah. So <laughs> parallel. Yeah. And you know, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about the distinction between being hungry and being ravenous, but I think that this is a good indicator as well. So I had mentioned, okay, if you're in a fat loss phase, or even if you're in a maintenance phase, you know, maybe if you are eating an appropriate amount of food for your goal, it is normal to feel hungry at maybe three, four hours or so after your previous meal. And that can be a good sign that, yeah, I'm in an appropriate deficit or I'm eating around maintenance for me. Now, if you are feeling really hungry an hour after you've eaten, then that's a good sign that maybe that meal before was not well-balanced enough. So it was too low in protein. It didn't have enough fiber. So that can be a good reminder to you that, all right, if I want to extend the amount of time in between meals until I experience that hunger again, then I need to make sure that my meals are well-balanced. They do have enough protein, that kind of thing. And then same thing, like I keep using the word ravenous, but that's the best one that comes to mind. I mean, there might be those situations where you didn't plan ahead appropriately. And so you're on the road and you don't have any access to food. Like it's a road trip. You didn't bring snacks. And the next pit stop is, you know, two hours from now. And like, yes, you have gotten like ravenous to that point. Like, okay, that can happen. But if you are feeling that way all throughout the day, no matter how often you're eating, well, then that's probably a sign that your calorie deficit is far too low. You know, maybe you're trying, like you're wearing the thousand, 1200 calories, like a badge of honor, seeing how low you can take it. And that is, yeah, an indication that it's probably too little food for you. Yeah, that's, that's super important. Were you going to say, go ahead, Katie. No, no, no. I just agree with Marcy about how that's going to backfire. Yeah. And um, it's another way you can use hunger kind of as like a gauge to see like 
how am I doing with, with my deficit? If you're super hungry, like she said, an hour after eating, you're not eating enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's really uh, a useful thing for people who are trying to get away from calorie tracking or people who are calorie tracking now, but they're looking forward to the future with an eye towards how do I prep myself for maintaining this without calorie tracking is to really start gauging how much food should I be eating in a meal so that I'm sustained for a good chunk of time for three, four, five hours later, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, the super kind of like diet culture world we've been steeped in, what is an appropriate meal for most people in that way? It's like this little tiny bit of food, right? It's some like this teeny salad with a little bit of chicken and trying to keep calories super low. That is not going to sustain you for enough time. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk then about tools to help so that you can build meals to help manage your hunger. Because part of being in a deficit is there is going to be some level of hunger. Even if you're eating appropriate number of calories, there's still going to be some measure of hunger in a deficit because you're literally not feeding your body the number of calories it would have to maintain your current weight. And so there is going to be some measure of hunger to deal with, but you don't have to get to the point where you're excessively hungry. And there are definitely tools you can use to manage that. Katie, why don't you give us one? So I think setting up meals so that you are not only just like Marcy said, creating the balance, like with the protein and the fiber um, to to help the, the, the longevity of the meal, but also including an element of satiety. If you're someone who's eating two big salads a day, plus, you know, your oats for breakfast or something like that, Um, you're probably going to eventually get to a point where you are sustained on calories, but you're always just kind of wanting more and you don't know why it's because you're missing that satiety factor. So really think about what it is you want. This is where you get to tune into your body. Am I feeling something crunchy? Am I feeling something sweet? Do I want a combo of sweet and salty? How can I incorporate all of this into my meal? And I'm a huge proponent of, of big salads, by the way, because I do like that you can put the sweet, the salty, the crunchy, the soft, the hot, the cold all into one bowl. So those are hugely satisfying for me. Stir fry is another one like that. But let's just say you're, you have, um, you, you pre-made chili or something and that's your lunch. And you're like, gosh, this is missing something. I don't know what it is. Like it's got the beans and the meat and the veggies and I put cheese on top, like, but I'm not satisfied. Maybe you're missing the crunch. So maybe you need to go find, you know, you need to, to, make a piece of toast and have it on the side, or maybe you just want a couple chips or whatever that is to kind of round out the meal. And it doesn't have to be enormously calorie dense. It doesn't have to be like a donut, right? On the side, but you should make sure that you are checking the boxes for the things that actually really do taste good to you. And don't let, again, diet culture fool you and say, oh no, I have to go have this protein bar on the side or this protein treat. Like that, you don't, your treats do not have to come in the form of like, a protein goodie. Like they can just be like a, you know, fun size Snickers in June. Like that's perfectly okay to use as a way to kind of build out and add that satiety layer to a meal and still allow you to achieve your goals. I love that Katie, like really looking at, um, satisfaction and not just, um, the food itself, but is it actually satisfying to you? Mm -hmm. Love that. Marcia, yeah, that's, that's interesting yes. because I used to always go to this restaurant downtown to have, when I was going out to lunch with someone, we usually check, or excuse me, pick this one restaurant and I would always get the chicken salad and it had bacon and avocado. Like that was pretty much it because with my food intolerances, there wasn't a lot else on the menu that I could really choose from. And it was a good size chicken 
It was, you know, you had your protein or yeah, protein, you had your veggies, you had your healthy fats and yes, bacon and avocado can give you that like mouthfeel, so to speak. So yeah, like, okay, it feels satisfying, but every single time I would leave and be like, I am still not physically hungry. Like I've had enough. I feel satisfied, but my brain was still wanting something more. So Mm -hmm. I loved what you were saying about that. And I think for me, what it was lacking was some sort of starch Mm -hmm. and there wasn't really an option at that restaurant to get a serving of starch. So, and I, I just accepted it's like, okay, it is what it is. Like you're going to get to eat again in three to four hours, not a big deal. And, you know, I have the awareness to, to deal with that and to sit with that until I can eat again and make something that is going to be more satisfying, more enjoyable. But Katie, that is such a great tip because yes, part Oh, I was just going to say, Mars, because for you and the salad, that was like, you know, it's like you go, you don't go out to, you don't have that meal two times a day. I think so many people are eating the meal you're describing, whatever it is for them, one or two times a day. And it's just that carryover and carryover and carryover that can sometimes um, all of a sudden like overflow and and sort of like be self-sabotage in its own sneaky way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think another good tool is to actually eat dedicated meals versus snacking. It's really tricky to tune into um, how hungry you are versus not if you don't ever let yourself get hungry by having these little mini snacks all day. And so having dedicated meals that are actually big enough, fleshed out enough so that you can be satisfied. And that doesn't mean you can't have any snacks during the day, but the constant um, grazing can really backfire as far as keeping a person satisfied in a deficit because you never get an opportunity to actually eat enough food in one sitting because you're having these little bits throughout the day. And so actually sitting down to dedicated meals and snacks is hugely helpful. Mm. Yeah. And Kim, I think that coincides nicely to Katie's point. So oftentimes we're snacking on chips or crackers or something like that, which yes, it's tasty in the moment, but because a lot of those foods are hyper palatable, so they're, they're crunchy, they're salty, they're fatty. They're really easy to overeat. And sometimes we do eat them, you know, in the absence of a full meal, we haven't had a full meal all day. So perhaps we are eating them in a state where we are hungrier than normal, or maybe we're stressed out with work. And because of that, it's going to lead us to overeat those foods. And let's be honest, they are easy to overeat. So instead of saying, I can never have those, can you still allow yourself to have them, but put them with a meal? So you're getting yes. the best of both worlds. You're getting the, the, like the balance of the meal. And I always save it till the end. So it's almost like, mm-hmm. okay, I have something to look forward to. Maybe you don't want or need as much at the end because you've already filled up on the actual meal itself, but you are still getting that mental satisfaction. Love that. Love that. Really great tip. And then Mars, I think you already touched on the idea. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. Did we talk about this before about like protein and fiber and fat? Did you just talk about that? Yeah. I mean, briefly, but I think having a well-balanced meal, I mean, at the very minimum protein with every meal, like that is going to be the key when it comes to hunger and then fiber as well, because that will literally stretch your stomach Mm -hmm. and make you feel more full. And then having a little bit of fat because that is going to extend the amount of time that that meal stays with you. So it's thinking about it. And I always get these mixed up. 
there's satiation and there is satiety. So one of them, and I can't remember which one is actually feeling physically full from the meal. And the other one is I feel full for a certain amount of time. And then there's satisfaction. So satisfaction, meaning, oh, I enjoyed that meal. And because of that, I can basically say, all right, I am done. I can move on rather than 20 minutes afterwards. No, like I'm still, I'm actually physically satisfied, but mentally I still need something more. So I'm going to go into the pantry and see what I can get my hands on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Protein, fiber, fat, volume. Those are the four things I work with my clients on uh, all the time. As far as like, if you're feeling, if you're worried, you're like overly hungry in a deficit, like that ravenous feeling that's really where to look like bump up your protein, bump up your fiber. Um, a lot of times if people are feeling overly hungry in a deficit, if they're actually hitting their, the calories that they're supposed to be getting, it's because they're using those calories on things that just aren't going to fill them up. Right. Like you can get a muffin as big as your face, but it's just, you know, it's that hyper palatable food where you could feel like you could keep eating it, but if you keep it at the calories you're supposed to have, and it's, you know, super highly processed. It doesn't have any fiber. I'm not talking like a bran muffin here. You're going to be hungry again really soon, even though the calories are in order. If you switched and had that same exact number of calories, let's say it's like a 550 calorie muffin, but then you switch that and you get something that has high protein and it has high fiber. Um, you get some greens and you know veggies in there to make the, uh, the volume piece in there. You have a little bit of dietary fat. If you do that for the same number of calories, you can stay fuller longer. So that's often a big swap that can help is looking to reduce the amount of processed food and increase the amount of fiber, fat, protein volume. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing uh, I wanted to chat about is what does it mean if you're never hungry in a deficit, but you're not making progress? Like scale's not, mo- scale's not moving, inches aren't moving. You feel like you're aiming for a deficit, right? You're like, I should be in a deficit. Scales not moving, inches aren't moving, clothes aren't fitting differently, and you're never hungry. Hate to say it, but you're not in a deficit. It's true. And it's hard for people to hear that because they're like, but wait, I'm trying so hard. And you are. And nobody here is accusing you of lying or being lazy. What it just means is that somewhere you are getting more calories than you think. Mm -hmm. And the the places that I would look are those snacks what's happening on nighttime, what's happening on the weekend, um, what's happening as far as are you mindlessly eating? That's usually, that's that's one of the big ones here where like you, you're never hungry. It's because you're like doing the lick bite tasting throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And so you get to the end of the day and in your mind, like you ate the things that you've tracked, but you've got several hundred calories that are untracked that have kept you from ever kind of getting even close to hungry because whenever you did, you were like, you know, snick snacking from your coworkers snack bowl or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people make the mistake of believing that it's only the calories at actual meal times that quote unquote count. So, yeah. so yeah, they, they don't take into consideration the handful of this, the lick of that, the taste or the sip of whatever it is. And unfortunately, like, in isolation, those 20 calories might not make a difference because let's be honest, whether you're in maintenance, whether you're in a deficit, it's going to be a range. It's like, you know, if you say, if you give a client a 1500 calorie target for their deficit, it doesn't mean that if they're at 1505, now they're all of a sudden out of it. Like there is that range, but 
when you consider that oftentimes if someone is struggling with the bites, looks, or taste, and another thing that I'll talk about in just a minute, you know, it's not a one-time occurrence. It's usually happening multiple times throughout the day. And then when you add that up multiple times over the course of the week, well, now you're technically at maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe even over, yeah. who knows? Uh, and the other thing I will add to that, because I do, at least when they're first starting out, encourage my clients to track. So get the food scale, use an app, track everything as meticulously as you can. I know it might feel overwhelming, a little bit neurotic, whatever you know you feel that is, but I also like to say that it helps to collapse time. So we want to be, we don't want to extend the amount of time that we're in a deficit. So let's try to get in and get out as quickly as possible. And being able to track everything with as much accuracy and consistency as possible is going to help with that. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I'm not saying that you have to, that's the only way, or you're not going to make progress if you don't do it. Just in my experience, it can be a very useful and temporary tool if you're okay with that. But a big um, issue that I see with people is they choose to forego the food scale in place of eyeballing portion sizes or using measuring cups and spoons. And I am sorry, but those can be so off. My favorite example is oatmeal. So on a package of oatmeal, it says that one serving is a half a cup or 40 grams. Well, if you weigh out 40 grams of oatmeal, like it's more than a half a cup, 40 grams is more like a third of a cup. And then mm -hmm. let's be honest, who's really dipping the oatmeal or the, this, the cup into the oatmeal and like leveling it off perfectly. No, it's typically like a heaping spoon or heaping scoop. So really, if you are leveling off a half a cup of oatmeal and then weighing that in a bowl on a scale, it's closer to anywhere from like, I don't know, 50 to 60 grams. That's the difference of 75 calories. That is not insignificant. Mm -hmm. So again, like I was saying, okay, that's happening at breakfast. And then what are you doing throughout the remainder of the day? So yeah, it doesn't mean that you're not trying or that you're like lying by, by purpose. It's more lying by omission because you don't really realize what you're doing. Yeah. It's definitely like a sneaky sabotage to yourself mm -hmm. that, um, and I get it. Some people are just like, it feels hard to like get the scale out. One of the things I would say in that situation is it's another, it's another tick in the column of let's have dedicated meals and snacks versus eating throughout the day, because you're only getting the scale out three or four times a day. If you're just doing three meals and a snack, right? It's not as hard as we build it up in our mind. And just like mm -hmm. any other thing, you're going to get faster and better at it. Mm -hmm. And once you start tracking your food, you're going to have a lot of the stuff in there and you're going to be, it's going to be so much faster. And the weighing it just doesn't take that much more time to put a bowl on a scale and put the oats in it versus not putting the bowl on the scale. So, you know, make things easy and fast for yourself. You'll get used to it. It's not a lifestyle that we want you to do permanently. Um, who was it? I can't remember who it was. Marcy, was it you that used to like travel with your scale? Were you the oh, one I'm sure I, oh, yeah. I travel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and like, that's not what we're telling you to do. Um, or suggesting, well, obviously I'm not telling you to do anything, but suggesting is a great idea. But when you're home, like most of the time doing that, it can really be a game changer. Yeah. And, can I mention one more thing, Kim, before you, before absolutely. we, so, um, if you're someone who's like, feels like they've been checking the boxes along with us on all of this and you're like, yes, I, 
I, I'm, I'm not eating out and I'm being careful and I'm measuring everything. There's a couple other things that really can impact hunger that I feel like when I had clients, I called these the rocks. They were like foundational. And frequently if we, before I had them cut one more calorie um, because they were in a plateau, we always looked at sleep, hydration and movement. And I, they're foundational for a reason. We could do a whole other podcast on them. But again, if you're somebody who's like, gosh, I don't know what's going on, really do an audit on those three things in your life. And if you are overdoing or underdoing any one of them, um, it will impact your hunger for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Sleep's a really big one. Actually, we should do a whole, I don't think we've done an episode on sleep recently. Have we? No, I don't think I so. Think we should. Just- yeah, not a whole one. That'd be a good one for a whole episode. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, lack of sleep can impact um, your hunger hormone and your satiety hormones. And then that's really challenging. It's not like it equals like, because some people are like, oh, if you don't sleep enough, they worry like that means I can't lose weight. And that's not what we're saying, but it has an impact on your mm-hmm. hunger and your satiety, which then can impact your ability to be successful. Let's do a whole episode on sleep coming up soon, ladies. Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting because people will say, and this is very anecdotal. There's nothing scientific to back it up. And I actually have not experienced this myself, probably because I don't do a ton of cardio, but I know that there are clients of mine, other people that I have talked to, whether it's coaches or friends who do engage in more cardio activity. And they do say, whenever I do more then I am much hungrier because of that. So that's something to consider if you are doing a lot of cardio, you know, trying to make faster progress and you're noticing that your hunger is just skyrocketing. Okay. Perhaps you do decrease the amount of more like moderate or high intensity cardio that you're doing. Typically we do not see that as much with weight training Mm -hmm. or just general movement in general. So there's this coach, his name is Brandon DeCruz. I am obsessed with the guy. I've like listened to all of his podcasts and I mean, he's, he is, well, no, he does now have his own, but he has been a guest on multiple others. And he talks about the importance of NEAT, your non-exercise activity all of the time. Cause really at the end of the day, like we want to be able to eat more food, but also be able to like move more. So like, if you want to eat more, let's just move more rather than have it be eat less exercise more because that always backfires. And one thing that he says is just like movement in general. So going for walks, staying more active has a appetite suppressing mechanism. So you are not going to be as hungry as you would be if you were just sitting around all day, you know, not doing anything. So another, another vote for, or another reason, I guess I should say why being active, moving your body is important. Mm -hmm. So I know we've uh, covered a lot here today. So those of you who are listening, um, maybe just think about one of these things that might be impactful in your life and how it can help you. If you're a person who has anxiety around hunger, as so many do, maybe even just sitting uh, with the idea that hunger isn't an emergency or actively starting to sit with your hunger for even if it's like 10 or 15 minutes, like when you notice actual hunger in your body, be okay uh, with saying like, I'm going to wait to eat. Uh, You can even set a clock and be like, I'll wait 10 minutes and see how I'm feeling. Um, it's a really good experiment uh, to see how that goes. And maybe even taking it a step back, if you're like, oh, I'm not even ready for that. Maybe taking a step back to just start noticing, like, what does it actually feel like when I'm hungry? Like if you're a person who hasn't even gotten to the point where you notice hunger, 
because you haven't been paying attention to it, like starting to actually tune into what do I feel like physically, not emotionally, not situationally, but physically, I think those are some good starting points. Anything else? I think even doing it on a scale too, like if you wanted to scale rate your hunger, like maybe what you think is a 10 is actually maybe more like a five or a six. And, and you yeah. find that out if you give yourself a couple minutes to just process it. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. The last thing I will say, and this applies more to those people who are in a fat loss phase is hunger is normal. It's to be expected. Uh, you should actually embrace it because it means that you are in a deficit that is going to be required to make progress. And also you signed up for this. So just know like no one is making you be in a fat loss phase. So yeah, just keep that in mind that it's not an emergency. You can get through it and you're not going to be here forever. That is such a good point, Marcy. You're, you should not be here forever. No. That is, yeah. Just because we come and talk about this every week doesn't mean that this is the life we live every right. single week. And I feel like that's an important distinction too. We're yeah, just helping absolutely. those who are in their cuts now. Yeah. A deficit phase should be just that. It should be a phase, not a permanent lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of what we've talked about here today can be really useful in maintenance um, as well. And that should be your long-term goal is to be in maintenance most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Thanks so much, ladies. Thanks. Bye. Talk to you next Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.